At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that raid line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is... Going to do the same thing again year after year? Oh no! Hello, everybody, welcome back to Random Troy Radio, episode 377, coming to you on Wednesday, August 5th. We're going to talk about the latest in USC football, including finally a new revised COVID 19 season schedule for 2020, along with, uh, we're going to talk about the latest in the Pact We Are United Pac-12 uh, player uprising, and so much more, including a mailbag. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and our new host, Omni Studio. But as always, I'm your host, Mike Garcia, joined along with my co-host, Alicia Dertal. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We are back in the studio, as always. With and a new Omni studio. With a new Omni can, studio. Can we call... I don't, we're, not, we're not sponsored by them specifically, but could we call this the Reign of Troy studio brought to you by Omni Studios? Or the Omni Reign of Troy studio? I wish Omni, the podcast host, had a relationship with Omni Hotels. And then we could get deals yeah, at Omni. Th- that would be cool, but Omni spelled differently, though. Oh, well, yeah. then what use is that? I, I, I don't know, but we are now on Omni. Happy to be a part of Omni as we have transitioned uh, from our former host. Um, but we're Which still. Which shouldn't mean anything for the vast majority of our, yeah, shouldn't, of our listeners. You, you'll get. Not. Yeah. You've been ported over. Yeah. So you don't have to do anything or anything like that unless you listened on Spreaker. At which point you need to not listen on Spreaker anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry, mo- Spreaker. Mosey on over. Uh, yeah, th- thanks for thanks for um, uh, dealing with that. I hope you guys didn't get too many um, extra downloads. I didn't in my podcast app, so I don't think. Nor did I. Uh, it was a troubling uh, migration over there, which is always a good thing. If not, though, double check. Make sure that you are still subscribed to Random Troy Radio. I want you to do that. Leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. We'll be like your best friends ever if you do that. 
eternal gratitude to mm-hmm. all people who uh, give five star reviews. And if you want to send us a message, uh, you can leave a review and we'll read it on the show. So this is true. You wanna you wanna tell us how great we are? Do that. You wanna tell Michael how bad his food takes are? Do that. You wanna tell me how much you hate Liverpool? You can do that too. Liverpool will still be the champions of England, so it's okay. I mean, with an asterisk, it's the COVID nineteen <laughs> season. It doesn't matter. Yeah, asterisks all over the place. Uh, How are you going to feel when when SC wins the national title this year? And everyone's going to be like, yeah, but Clay Helton did it in a year with COVID. So, like, did it really count? I am fully prepared for this eventuality, Michael. We're living on the darkest timeline, so we know that that is exactly where this is headed. I mean, sure, he beat Alabama in the playoff by 20, and then they beat LSU by 30. But, like, does it really count because of COVID, you know? like. <laughs> well, I mean, if Alabama has half their players uh, opt out and LSU has half their players opt out and USC is the only team that is, uh, knock on wood, fielding a full squad. <laughs> I mean, the game was played in Bozeman, Montana. Like, should it even count? <laughs> it's COVID, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, be- beware for those. <laughs> for those takes. It'll be I heard uh, Pete Thamel was on the uh, Dan Patrick show on Monday, and he was talking about how the most absurd sort of random scenario he'd heard for the college football season is uh, just go somewhere where there is no COVID, like Nova Scotia or New Zealand, and like send all of the players there and play the games there. So, like, the college football playoff live from Auckland, let's do it. I'm down. Yeah, I, I'm I, here for it. I, I said it. In a perfect world, if if there were no ethical hurdles or anything like that, it'd be great to just throw everyone on a campus. Send so everyone would, to Pullman. Yeah. If, Pull, if Pullman, the goal- is, Pullman is the most middle-of-nowhere Pac-12 campus. Throw everyone to Pullman, play all the games at Martin Stadium. Um, they're put, they're, they're going to the be Pac-12. doing uh, online classes anyway, so yeah. it's not like they need to be on campus on their own campuses. Put put all of the pla- Pac-12 players, who all the players who are intended intended to participate in the upcoming schedule, in the on campus dorms. Keep them in their own little bubble, and you could get the season going. In a perfect world where you didn't have to worry about the fact that these are amateurs, that these are student athletes, and all sorts of other things. It's Beholding not just the various governments and all yeah, this, this stuff. Yeah. yeah, like that would you know, in a perfect world, that's how you do it. But obviously, this ain't a perfect world. Yeah. So p- part of me looks at it and it's like baseball is so stupid for not creating a bubble. I don't know why they didn't create when a bubble. They are the only sports that has access to inherently creating their own bubbles in Arizona and in Florida. Yeah. Though there's two training uh, spring training facilities in those states uh, hubs. You could have you could have done it in a way, uh, and I know that they didn't want to go to Arizona and Florida because of hot spots and 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 whatnot. But yeah, like, not ideal. But, but if you create your bubble, I feel like you cre- could create that bubble anywhere. Why not just do a bunch of Field of Dreams games in freaking Iowa? Uh, Iowa. You had to think about where Field I had to think about where Field of Dreams was. Yes, but like, why not just go to the fields of Iowa? Cut out. It's like you don't have fans there, so you just need to like put up some scaffolding for some. TV stuff and and just uh and just do it there. I don't know. MLB's gonna gonna do what it's gonna do, but and the players are gonna find some casino to go to and well, not get COVID. Yeah, there you go. Good good job. Congratulations, Cardinals. Marlins. Yeah. Oh, the Cardinals. Have- the Cardinals are the ones that went to the casino. Oh, good times. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the Marlins just went to some sort of like party. Yeah. So. People kind of people. I mean, but but for, but for real though, we're talking about professional athletes who are taking those risks. You think that the student right. athletes, eighteen to twenty-two year olds, aren't going to take those risks too? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Especially when uh, frat houses still have people in them, apparently. Uh, apparently. I mean, yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And Gone are it. the days. Frat houses ripe with uh, things like... Um, Are you gonna make an STD joke right now? I was Michael? thinking of one that could work, but <laughs> but now they're potentially right with COVID. Yeah, good times. Yeah, good 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 on USC France for that. Um, anyways, uh, so much more news coming to you uh, over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy, where Alicia does uh, her her side podcast, second uh, and short. Yeah, yeah. Well, right Your now. Side pod. Right now, the the focus has been more on uh, Scliff Notes, which are sort of bi-weekly check-ins on all the little headlines that we either don't have time to cover on the main show or miss on the main show as it, as it happens with stuff that happens later in the week. So um, when the when the schedule came out, we had a quick uh, reaction to that. When the player unity thing hit the hit the fan. Had a, a detailed look into that too, so just getting a little bit more down in the weeds on on whatever's happening around USC and college football. Yep, but later this month we're going to start our uh, fall camp preview series, going unit by unit, because we- there might not be a college football season, but we'll sure <laughs> act like there is. <laughs> um, we we certainly don't know when fall camp is starting, but <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get those things out. That impression was beautiful, Michael. <laughs> Um, if you don't get that, go listen to Family Feud. Those guys are awesome. But <laughs> anyways, patreon.com slash Ryan of Troy, or you can uh, join the party. Uh, Five fifty five, get all of our bonus episodes. Ten bucks, you get all of the bonus episodes plus access to the Rot Crew Slack, where you get to uh, chat with us and um, even have you uh, share our F one races. Yes, yes. Even though we're not talking about F1 on this podcast. We're not talking about F1 on this podcast, but we are certainly participating in an F1 league. And uh, it is tons of fun. And at least for us, apparently people have enjoyed listening to it, too. So, I mean, watching it, too. So, you know, good times. But we're not talking about we're not talking about the F1. British Grand Prix. And we're not talking about how Lewis Hamilton, d- you know, won on three how wheels. That last lap was absolutely mind-bogglingly insane. insane. We're not going to talk about the, we're not the gonna talk tire about, degradation. We're not going to talk about my boy Carlos Sainz. Mm-hmm. Just, no. uh, just the heartbreak at the end. No, not going to talk about how Max Verstappen nearly got his first win of the year. Nearly. Nearly. Uh, we're not going to do Monday morning quarterbacking on whether or not he should have pit. In that. Not going to do that. But what we are going to talk about is the news coming up next. All right, Alicia, we're not allowed to talk about soccer, so we're not going to talk about Manchester United. Instead, we're going to talk about we are united hashtag we, we are, are united yes uh hashtag we are united a pac-12 player unity movement uh which took center stage over the weekend Alicia, tell us all about this yeah so over the weekend it started to sort of filter out there that there would be this opt-out threat from players in the pac-12 um on sunday they released a letter uh to the players tribune with their uh, basically statement of of uh, of of beliefs and and 
the demands that they have um, that need to be met in order for the players to not opt out. Allegedly, there are hundreds of players who are on board with this. Uh, Effectively, we know the names of just a few of them. There were, I think, 12 that signed the initial TPT letter. And then there w- we know that uh, Chase Williams was added to TPT, a, the Players' Tribune. The Players' Tribune, yes. Um, the the uh, Chase Williams was added to the the list of players who signed the letter that was sent to Larry Scott uh, with a demand. So um, it's and then on Sunday after this whole thing came out, a bunch of players took to social media to post a graphic that showed all of the uh, Pac-12 logos and hashtag we're united with the list of demands that they have. So um, it's still not a full picture of exactly how many players are willing to opt out if it comes to that, but we do know what uh, what they're asking for. So quick hitters, because, I mean, if you want the full rundown, I went piece by piece, line by line through this in a Scliff Notes earlier on, on the Patreon. So if you want the, the full detailed sort of uh, listening of what they're asking for, how realistic those things are. You can go to go to Patreon to listen to that. But um, the sort of quick hitters are that they're looking for COVID-19 protections and safety standards to get put in place. Um, they're asking for uh, the waivers, the, that there will be no waivers for them to sign with relation to uh, uh, COVID-19 and liability. Um, they're asking for an elimination of excessive expens- expenses like Larry Scott's salary, like coaching salaries, like uh, uh, facilities expenditures, and that that money go towards preserving sports, like how Stanford uh, nixed a bunch of their sports programs. They want those to to be preserved at the cost of the excessive expenditures that they've listed. Uh, They want measures to fight racial injustice, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, measures, uh, committees, and and all sorts of other things, uh, programs that they want the Pac-12 to put their weight behind. Um, and for for what it's worth, USC has now appointed a Black Lives Matter action team. Um, so USC is at least doing individually that kind of uh, uh, mom- uh, that kind of um, addressing that particular issue. Uh, they also want medical expense coverage. Uh, so medical insurance extending six years after their eligibility uh, for football-related injuries, including COVID-19. They want name, image, and likeness rights. Uh, they want 50% revenue share for uh, Pac-12 revenues to go to the players. They want a uh, extension of six-year athletic scholarships. They want a one-time free transfer rule. They want the ability to return from the NFL draft if they are not drafted. And uh, they want, quote-unquote, due process rights. That one's very just simple and... and uh, uh, short there. So that's the the more or less the full accounting. There there are more detailed demands in there, but the, those are sort of the ones all wrapped up into into those little bullet points that the that the players are looking at. Yeah, it's it's a long list. Um but you got to start somewhere. If, if, it's covering a lot of different topics. That's what I found very interesting is that yeah. the the like each one of these things could be a, a major massive target uh, topic to discuss. And they have them all sort of wrapped up into one. So there's a lot there to, to digest. Yeah. And they're, they're presented as demands, which uh, as ruffled the feathers of various people, uh, fans and, and media like uh, not liking the word demand, uh, to which I say, get over it. Um, 
to 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 put it clearly, um, th- these are players who are not represented. Uh, they're players who do not get paid. They're, they're players who, yes, they they get a scholarship and, and and all those things. We all know that. No one's taking that away from any of this. But um, th- these are players who are not in a position to ask politely. Because in theory, there is nothing. There, there are a few things going their way in terms of leverage. They now they have the ultimate leverage chip, which is not playing, uh, which drains money from They're literally everybody, leverage. everybody else. Yes, uh, which is the ultimate chip here, uh, the ultimate bargaining chip. Um, at the same point, beyond that, they're they they're not in a position to to be polite about this. Uh, you have to have demand. Uh, you can't just passively ask for things. Um, that that and th- the other or, thing is, or they have and nothing has come to. I I saw right. one player talk about how they were on some athletic department, um, student athlete committee or whatever, and they were like, "We brought up a lot of stuff. None of it got right action. Unless you're threatening to sit out, you're yeah. not going to be heard, and yeah. so it ends up having to be put in the form of de- of a demand. That that's how this works." This is how you create action if you're the players. Uh, secondly, um, I, I know a, a lot of this seems like a lot to ask. Uh, the, the 50% revenue split mm-hmm. uh, seems like something that's never going to happen in a million years. Completely unrealistic, yes. Yes. But you have to ask for something. Uh, like This is how negotiation works. Uh, if you're the players, you ask for 10 things. There's 10 things on this list that you wrote down at least in the, in the rundown. If you get five of them, you call it a win, right? Like, yeah. like this is how negotiation works. Well, uh, uh, so I, I don't understand um, people being up in arms about the players, uh, you know, trying to get theirs. We, we all we do in this sport is talk about how the players don't get theirs. So when they try, now all of a sudden it's oh shame on you for trying. Like I, I don't understand. I I just. I think there's a lot of like nitpicking going on with regards to like the language that they use. So if they'd use the word request, that would have been okay. Like, or so are you mad with the way that they phrase this or are you just mad that they're asking for these things in the first place? I I think it's probably the latter because a demand and a request don't really make a difference. They're still threatening to opt out one way or the other. Um, An ask, you know, go through the thesaurus and find words that you can put in there the fact of the matter is they are threatening to opt out opt out if these whatever you want to call them are not met um is it reasonable that they opt out if all of those things aren't addressed absolutely not it's not reasonable but like you said this is negotiations and you know we were talking before we started recording like i have watched a lot of pawn stars in my life and the one thing i learned as someone who doesn't barter in general like watching pawn stars has taught me the art of Here's how you go in. You go in asking for $10,000 for something. The The guy across the counter is going to try to lowball you at $4,000. You're going to go like, oh, no, I, I can't go any lower than nine. And he'll move up to five. And then you'll move down to seven. And then he'll move up to six. And then you'll agree and shake hands at 6.5, like 6,500. Like, and then uh, you walk out of the store. Uh, you, you you go to the, the cutaway, the talking head interview and the guy's like i mean i didn't think i was getting more than five thousand for this like <laughs> that's not that yeah. that's how it works so that's negotiation that's negotiation right. so i think that the players have every right 
to come out and at least begin these conversations. Do I think that it's particularly wise to throw out 50% revenue share? No, I think you make your, I think you undercut yourself by putting out such an outrageous ask. But, you know, if they had just said revenue share, I don't know what that necessarily amounts to. Yeah, they would have, they would have had to put a number at some point. Yeah. And if you're going to ask for 25, why not ask for 50? Because in, all of the professional sports leagues, it's a 50-50 share, or more or less. And, and all, so, all, let, let's say that there is a negotiation here. All that's going to happen is they come back, okay, we're going to talk about start this at 5. And you know what? You started at 5. That's 5% more than you had than before. you had before. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, again, I think that there are some, like, and and I talked about this in the in the scope notes, like, eliminating expenditures and and having voluntary reduction of salaries and all that kind of stuff, it just ain't going to happen. Like, that's not the way the market's going to work. But you can certainly have conversations around how much money Larry Scott is making and how much money he he warrants making. And you can certainly have conversations about what a big piece of the pie that coaches are getting when the players aren't getting any piece of that pie, Um, not in terms of of, of revenue or anything like that. So, I I don't know. I, I think it's a starting point. I would hope that the players have enough wherewithal to come into the negotiations and be reasonable and be open-minded and understand that the Pac-12 is dealing with grander economic uh, concerns. I thought uh, Elijah Molden from Washington had a really great tweet response to this where he talked about how he supports this movement, but this is maybe not like some of the asks are maybe going a bit too far, especially in this environment where finances are going to get so tight in right. in the post-covid sort of era the economic downturn that's inevitable and and all of that kind of stuff so um i think that you can find a middle ground where you support the idea behind this where you say you got to polish up some of these demands right and you sort of come to the table and be willing to have a back and forth and not be super staunch like no, if we don't get 50%, we're all sitting out. Well, at that point, then you're just going to end up sitting out because it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and, and the way I look at it, I don't think, and maybe I'm naive here, but I, I don't think the Pac-12 has to do much to win over the players in the sense that, because these things that they're asking for are things that, for the most part, haven't been done before. Well, And so if you do any of these things, you're already improving the situation greatly. And I think that players, for the most part, and again, complete speculation here, um, would be able to live with a few changes, at least at the beginning. Because, again, these are players who it is still in their best interest, all told, to still play football. Because yes. so many of these players are trying to get to the NFL. Uh, we were having the conversation off offline about, well... You know, are there going to be any SC players who, who you know, get tied into this? We know that Chase Williams was on that letter, but uh, is there going to be anyone willing to opt out at USC? And my thing was maybe um, on principle there will be someone who stands up, but you look at USC's rosters, and we've talked about this so much, there's so many players that have too much of a reason to play in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you look at all those prove. players on defense. Like someone like a JT Valley, for instance, right? He has so much that he needs to prove on the field to validate his NFL status that I could only imagine it makes it more difficult for someone in his position 
Uh, and not just him in general, but someone like him who needs to solidify his NFL position to be able to be a part of this. And this is why you see statements like um, DTR from UCLA, their, their quarterback, say, I support this movement, but it's not for me. I still got to play. And I again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think it's pretty transparent. If DTR wants to get to the NFL, he needs to play in 2020 and he needs to have a really good season. Yeah. So, like, they're still in, in their best interest in a lot of ways is still to play football despite that big bargaining chip, which makes it all the more reason to negotiate and find a level of agreement. You start somewhere and, and you, you just keep adding on, you know, going forward when the econ- the economic stuff, you know, isn't so much of a burden or whatnot. Well, I think and you, you get, find a middle ground. You get a line of communication with the conference, which I think is important. Yeah, for sure. Um, the only thing I think that really needs to get addressed in order for these players to like now in the COVID nineteen stuff, the COVID nineteen stuff, they want, yeah. uh, and I think those are the absolutely the most valid of their like not 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 that they're most valid because there's a lot of valid uh, points in there, but like the most critical for this exact it's moment is time. Yes, because you don't want to go to fall camp and and not have um COVID nineteen procedures and standards that are across the board and and that's one of the things that the pac-12 needs to explicitly lay out how many positive tests will it take to shut down workouts how many positive tests will it take to cancel or, or reschedule a game um what exactly like they need to have uniformity across their see i don't i don't know that you want to put numbers on those things but you, I, I i know that there's a need to put numbers but or, I, and i know that Who's Nuance gonna decide difficult? it then? Who's gonna uh, th- th- maybe it needs, it needs maybe to be a third party? Maybe right? it maybe it's not so much putting a number down, but at least designating who because you Fair. can't have USC deciding one thing right. and Washington State deciding right. another like that. If I it was, can't be decided on football interest. Yes, but on the plus side, the Pac-12 does have a plan in place for COVID nineteen. They are taking COVID nineteen quite seriously. Certainly, um, of the conferences, I, I feel most confident that the Pac-12 is is taking this extremely seriously right. and um a lot of the 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 stuff that's that's there i think is a no-brainer that they'll want to have taken care of before players get on the field the rest of the stuff i think if you're the pac-12 you agree to discuss half of the stuff is already in place nil rights are coming um one-time transfers are coming a, a lot of this isn't even pac-12 uh they can't control stuff. it yeah like the the ability to return if undrafted, uh, that's not a Pac-12. I- that's not a Pac-12 issue. That's more of an NFL issue and yeah. more of an NCAA whole issue. Like those are things that need to be addressed in different ways. There, and so- this is what. But this is why it's so interesting, though, because the Pac-12 players have done this and they've received some support from from out of the conference. Trevor Lawrence is probably the biggest who expressed support. But I think there's a difference between expressing support and being willing to join the movement right and this is what i'm most curious of because we agree that there is a huge bargaining chip that these players have but are there enough big time players who are willing to sit out to the point where the pac-12 goes we have to cave to as many of these things as possible right otherwise we won't be able to hold a season at this stage i don't think we have the answer to that uh from a usc perspective only a handful of players have have shared that graphic uh, Jalen McKenzie, Isaiah Polamau, Hunter Eccles, and Greg Johnson. Um, Chris Steele has basically said on Twitter, like, it's not for him. He's here to to play for USC and, and take care of 
uh, me and mine, as, as, as he said. Um, the the Pac-12 quarterbacks, I have yet to see a single Pac-12 quarterback come out in support of this. Uh, DTR is the only Pac-12 quarterback I've seen make a statement, and his was, I ain't opting out. Right. Um, Keaton Slovis, Jaden Daniel, I know there aren't... Uh, 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 um, who's the quarterback at... Uh, oh, um, Chase... Uh, Garber? Chase Garbers, all all of those guys, no one has spoken up. And if you don't have star power, you're... You, you need star power to help, but it goes back to what I said about... And this is how college football has lasted so long, is it's the carrot of the NFL. Um, and the carrot of the NFL keeps these players in line for a better way... A lack of a better way to put it, because... They are focused on getting to the NFL in some sort of way. And again, it's in their best in- interest in terms of NFL status to play football. And so I think it's tough for a quarterback to sit here and be like, yeah, I'm willing to risk a full season of the, you know, a, a grade A shot at building some resume for myself to get paid millions and millions of dollars to support this, even if I do. Yeah, and that dilemma is very difficult. Absolutely, and, and 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 I I I don't know how you manage that. But that's why I think if you're the Pac-12 players, which sh- shouldn't it underline the the risk of the players who who have actually signed on. are yeah. Do, Penny Sewell was one. Penny Sewell is going to be a top five pick. But but and that's the and that's the big question. Maybe the number one pick, right? Pen, like, well, Penny Sewell. Here here's the and here's the other factor. We're seeing players opt out for health reasons. Um, yes. At Washington State, there was a whole kerfuffle over um, uh, Cassidy uh, Cassidy Woods, one of their players, who was opting out because of he has sickle cell anemia and he was opting out for health reasons. And the conversation with Nick Rolovich, the head coach, turned towards this whole thing. And Rolovich seemed to indicate, hint, that he... Uh, you know, he could opt opt out for health reasons and that was fine. But if he was opting out because of this movement thing, that that was going to have problems down the line. Nick Rolovich, I I think, entered the the conference as a very intriguing figure. He's lost so much of that benefit of the doubt. So much. In the, in the in last few days. 48 hours. Yeah. Yes. Um, So, but, but that was, you know, part of it is that, they like the why are you opting out situation if you're opting out for health reasons uh that's one thing if you're opting uh, we're seeing players already opt out not just for health reasons but to say i'm just going to go to the nfl draft micah parsons from penn state is expected to do just that um the 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 cornerback from virginia tech is doing just that so how many players like is panay sewell who we don't know if he's on board with opting out we know that he tweeted out support but that right. doesn't necessarily equal the willingness to opt out. But Penny Sewell is a player. If there's any player in the Pac-12 who could just go, who can afford to not play and still be fine in the NFL, it's Penny Sewell. Which, to me, and and th- this is just my two cents. I think that makes if that's going to be the case, if Penny Sewell's going to going to just I'm going to opt out and start focusing on the NFL now, uh, which might be a good business decision for him, anyways. Then. The more the merrier to just hop on this thing. Well, and that's and that's what I'm interested of is like if you are Amon Ross St. Brown and you are seriously considering the possibility of just going to the NFL, why not use your use the leverage that you have 
and say, um, I'm doing this because of, uh, because of the player unity when it's sort of a 50-50 proposition that you could, that you could go, you could throw some weight behind this movement. Um, right. Then again, like you get into the like complexities of now you're sort of like you're now thinking about these things from the perspective of, okay, I'm going to manipulate and scheme so that it seems like I'm opting out for this reason, but I'm really opting out for this reason and blah, 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 which might be too deep. I don't think it has to be a manipulation. I think you can be pretty straightforward on it, too. Um, Either way, um, more power to the players. We'll we'll see what what comes of all this stuff. Um, It's going to be fascinating to see how it... um, how it all comes together. Um, the players would be, it would behoove the players to have more star power, one hundred percent. And hopefully, they get some uh, some ears on this, um, and, and and we'll see what comes of it. See if USC uh, ends up being affected more so than we think as of now. That could obviously change going forward. But um, other. Things along the same lines, not really, um, but the NCAA announced last week that they will allow social justice messages uh, and the like on jerseys via uniform patches or individual name plates. Alicia, this is an interesting thing because I don't know if you've ever known, USC is the only football program in FBS to never have name plates. Yeah, and uh, uh, that alone for me is reason to say, like, I hope USC doesn't go this route. Um, I'm very curious to see how the, I wrote on Randy Troy, like, uh, when this all happened, that I would I would hope that the players uh, who might want to use this opportunity to express those me- messages on the back of their jerseys, I hope that they um, there would be a sort of... Um, a situation where you can figure out ways to express yourselves that doesn't sort of I would like USC's tradition to walk hand in hand with the players desire to uh, stand up for what they believe in and all that kind of stuff and I I hope that somebody is able to come together and figure out how that can work Um, I think it's a complex situation but I, I I'm very curious how this will all work Knowing what we know about how the NCAA, how the NBA is doing their social justice messages on the back of their jerseys, knowing the NBA is weird because I, I understand why there's two different nameplate patterns on the back of jerseys. Uh, the, if you haven't seen an NBA game, aesthetically, they, I don't like it. Aesthetically, it's weird. I understand why it's the case. Yeah, but it, it's very odd. So the if the, you have a message, you're your your message is in an arc on top of the number as traditionally seen in American sports, right? Um, if not, uh, if you were just putting your name on the back, it's underneath the the number, which and look, the number the number is skewed. So for the the the, the number slides the up drum, or down. The number slides up or down depending. So yes. then you've got guys on the jer- you see the jerseys and the numbers are at different heights and just aesthetically, like, and this is nitpicky. I know this is a, totally irrelevant, but like. Aesthetically, like there had to be a better way to do this. There had to be, uh, but yeah. that's just me. Uh, but, but but we 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 are seeing the NBA has a preset list of things that you can put. Right? Is the NCAA going to do that? Um, I I, I wouldn't be surprised approve? because it's it's going to be something that needs to be approved. Yeah. Um. So if it's, it needs to be approved, either 
there will be a preset list of a pr- uh, of phrases. Maybe I wouldn't be su- surprised if that was the case. Or there will be things that at least will be greenlit, and then players will use that, knowing it's been greenlit. Um, my my thought is, I hear you on the tradition thing. I think USC's traditions are what make being a USC uh, football fan a uh, a, a big deal. It's 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 why if you're into tra- tradition, things like this are why you are a USC fan and not a UCLA fan, right? At the same point. USC has never had name nameplates ever. If a player did put a name on a back of a USC jersey, that name would would have the eyeballs attached to it fifty times more than any other nameplate on any other school, because it's never been done on a USC jersey. Which is the argument if you are going to put a message. If you are a USC football player who wants to put Black Lives Matter on your jersey, that would be the argument for doing it, is that if you're going to be heard, you have to take a risk. Um, and I know that that people, we go back to talking about demands. People don't like the word demands because it's it's uncomfortable, right? And people don't like protests that, that stop freeways because it, it, it's uncomfortable for, for the, the innocent bystander who's going to be late to work and whatnot. I understand that, but you if you protest on the side of the road silently, people drive by and they don't stop. If, if you protest anything, um, you know, uh, Colin Kaepernick sat on the bench for those first two games or, or whatever it was, uh, and it wasn't until you took a knee and t- t- until he got noticed, right? Like, you have to do something to get noticed. Putting a name on the back of a USC jersey, I think, makes makes that message infinitely more visible than putting on the back of a UCLA jersey. Because a UCLA jersey, whether or not you have a name on the back, your teammate does. And so there will be something there. I think it it, it stands out on a USC jersey more. Now, I'm not right, I'm, but- I'm not going to sit here and say that every player should should put whatever uh, they want in there, but it's not for me to decide. And if they want to make that decision, that weight is carried extra because of USC. Oh, tradition. and absolutely. I mean, I say all these things with ex- explicitly. It is not for me to decide. It it should be up to the players. It should be a, a sort of a, a decision that, that the players get to make themselves. My point is just like there are there are a lot of ways to express yourself without also sort of changing that USC tradition. Right, but especially when the NCAA is giving you the option to wear a a patch that is a unified team message. Right. The whole not wearing, not having names on the back of your jersey is about the the name on the front is more important than the name on the back. The we not me kind of kind of whole thing. It's a whole the whole team kind of unity thing. So, I I think you're you are saying you are able to preserve both sides by doing something like a patch. Where the team sure. has decided we're going to wear the Black Lives Matter patch this week, or we're going to wear the breast cancer awareness patch this week, or whatever it is that they decide they're going to wear, and still be able to retain the the tradition of not having the nameplates on the back of the jersey, which, to, like to me, I I do think is is a is a value that I would like to see USC uphold. Again, it's not up to me. 
Right. I don't get to. I, I'm. No, I don't. I, I'm. I. I don't intend to force anybody. This is just the way I feel about it. I would prefer not to see it. Not because I. I don't want to see the messages. I don't. I, I am one hundred percent in favor of people expressing themselves however they want to express themselves. It's not about the nature of the messages that would go on the back of the jersey. It's simply, right. I just don't want to see any words on the back of the jersey. No, I, I, get, I get you. I, I, trust me. The, the, I, the, 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 somebody could put on the back of their jersey Liverpool uh, Champions of England or whatever, and I would still be against it. No, I, uh, I, on, I, I get, I get you. You don't have to create absurd examples. Nobody <laughs> gives a crap that Liverpool are the Champions of England in a year of COVID. Uh, but... Uh, but the, the only thing I would I would say the last thing I would say is that that it, it is always awkward to say that the reason you can't do something like this like you can't fight social justice because of tradition um, that that always uh, it, it could it could be coded in, in some ways and, right. and so and so that, that's always a difficult proposition but that's to, uh, to, to argue again that's, that's all I'm gonna uh, say. well. I I completely understand the idea of not having it. Trust yeah. me, there's nothing more sacred. It's a top five sacred thing about sports to me that USC doesn't have names on the back of the jerseys. Yeah. So I I, I get you. I, I get. You. If they put stuff on the back of the jersey, I will get over it. I will. I will get over it. I just won't particularly. See, for me, enjoy if, it. if if they have someone else but the Nike swoosh on a jersey, it is. You're not you're not racing to sign up for that Under Armour deal. Send an ambulance. If there's a, <laughs> if there's a news breaking that SC's moving to you know Under Armour or Adidas, it will not be a good day for me. Yeah, not not, not a good day. Anyways, we're gonna take a quick break. Come back and talk about USC uh, and their 2020 COVID affected schedule. Be right back. Alicia, it is going to be a season in 2020. Well, we actually, you know, that allegedly there will be a season in 2020. But again, there might not be a season, but that doesn't mean we won't act like there. I can't do it now. You, you totally oh, lost oh, the voice. Hold on, let me do it. There might not be a college football season, but they sure will act like there is. <laughs> there it is. There you go. Uh, anyways, the point is. Uh, this is going to be the first season in your lifetime in which USC is not playing on or around your birthday. How do you feel? Uh, good. I feel very good about it. My birthday being during the football season is stressful. I mean, Fink gave you some, some Fink, CDs. I swear. I swear. Normally, I'm used to because you know during the Pete Carroll era, you know that the curse around the Pac-12 season opener. Yeah. It was always the like the week of or the week after my birthday. So Oregon like State. Yeah. Washington State was uh, sorry. Washington was one of those games. Like, um, it just yeah. My birthday hasn't necessarily always been a very happy uh, time in USC football. So last year was weird because that Friday night game being on my birthday, I went in thinking, man, Utah is going to embarrass USC, and instead, I ended up laughing the entire game over the absurdity of Matt Fink, there was of no, all people. There was no football reason for uh, Essie to win that game. Upsetting Utah. It was amazing. But now this year, I won't have to deal with the stress of, is USC or is USC not going to lose a game on the weekend of my birthday? Um, they could lose, you know, six days after my birthday to UCLA. That would be fun, except we don't think that game's going to happen at that time anyway. So uh, we might make it through September with no football, which uh, means no birthday curse for me which means potentially the opportunity to do some nice uh, fall 
hiking that I don't normally get to do. There you uh, go. It's exciting. There you go. Uh, let's talk about the schedule. You alluded to it. USC week one at the Rose Bowl against UCLA, September 26th, uh, followed by home against Cal at Sanford, home against Colorado at Arizona on October 24th. Uh, a big bye week on Halloween. Halloween bye week is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Why? Because it's a it's a shitty holiday. I love Halloween. It is worst, one of my favorite. It is one of my favorite holidays. Worst holiday. When USC plays on Halloween, uh, it's always a bummer because then I'm working, and so then I miss out on Terrible decorating holiday. the house and handing out the candy and uh, you know eating all the chili. Not and a the, good holiday. You would love Halloween at my house, Michael. You know what my mom makes for Halloween? Corn dogs. Yes, which is very cool. Yes. By the way, so here's a little fun fact. Alicia told me about this thing about how her mom makes corn dogs. Alicia doesn't like corn dogs. I don't Very like corn much dogs. an indictment on her. Like that is a incredibly huge flaw that you don't like corn dogs. I got sick from corn dogs once when I, I was like a kid. I respect that 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 stance. I won't eat a funnel cake because I got sick when I was a kid. Oh, that's the saddest thing. I, it took me like ten years to get over my funnel cake sickness. But at the same point, corn dogs are like the greatest invention known to man and so it, it it saddens me that your mom has created this tradition which is so smart to have corn dogs on halloween and i had never like she explained it to me once she's like well because you give it to the kids and they can carry their corn dog while they're trick-or-treating i'm like that's so genius i moved to arizona there's a sonic across the street from my apartment every halloween 50 cent corn dogs and I'm like, did they talk to Alicia's mom? <laughs> or like, has everyone come to the conclusion that corn dogs on Halloween are a thing? I don't know. I, I've never Googled a thing. it. There but, must be but just it a must thing. Must be a thing. Yeah. Anyways. So, anyways, I get I'm to, eating a bunch of corn dogs that day. I'm super excited because I get to participate fully in Halloween and the USC football season uh, until the inevitability of USC UCLA on Halloween. Because they move that game from the start of the season into the bye week. Uh, that would be fun, too. And then after the bye week starts a final five games. Uh, this is a 10-game schedule. Uh, that is going to be absolutely brutal for the Trojans. Uh, opening up on Saturday, November 7th. Used to be as he was going to Eugene to play the Ducks that day. Uh, no longer the case. They are going to be hosting Washington State. Nick Rolovich's. Washington State. We'll see how many players opt out for Nick there uh, on that game. And then following week at Oregon, November 14th, uh, November 21st, ASU at the Coliseum, Friday, Black Friday, November 27th at Utah, Saturday, December 5th, home to the Washington Huskies. Then there is a bye week on the 12th of December. Uh, that is potentially another fill-in uh, bye week, followed by the Pac-12 championship game, which will be on December 19th, hosted by the team with the best record in the Pac-12. Uh, Alicia, this is this is interesting. There's two bye weeks, um, Halloween and December 12th. The design of the schedule is that if there's a game that needs to be rescheduled uh, and teams have the same uh, days off, you can move them into then... Every team in the Pac-12 has December 12th off. Uh, the uh, Halloween date, there's like three teams that USC um, and other teams have. 
all at the same time. Uh, one of those being UCLA in week one. And right after the schedule comes out, both Mike Bone and UCLA AD Martin Jarman say that it's likely the game will be moved to one of those open dates because the state of California and the, I believe it's the local LA County. Yeah. Um, LA, I think it's LA County, but it might be LA City. Something. Some sort of government, uh, governmental ordinance as preventing USC and UCLA from playing uh, sports. Actually, preventing them from even having fall camp. Uh, which is interesting because the Dodgers have an exception to this. They can play football. Uh, sorry, baseball. Uh, but USC cannot uh, put together practices or games, even without fans right now. Which will be interesting because it's, it's, uh, the day this publishes is October is August 5th. And fall camp in the Pac-12 is approved to begin on August 17th. So we're coming up at the sort of two weeks to get all this sorted out to see. And all of the messaging from USC and, and UCLA and and even the Arizona schools is that like they don't ex- expect to be able to hold fall camp beginning on August 17th. And Larry Scott in the uh, they did a little media webinar was sort of basically hinting at the same that they don't expect all of the Pac-12 schools to be able to begin workouts, to to begin fall camp practices by the 17th. They have uh, the window from the 17th to the, uh, the, the 20th or so to get their 25 practices in, but you know, not everyone's going to even be able to get the 25 practices in right. according to the Pac-12. So, but, but if you, you move that date back, if USC and UCLA are willing, you move that date, you give yourself an extra week. Mm-hmm. For both of those t- those teams, the real question is just how long do they have to wait for L.A. to approve them to get back to uh, to practice? And you and I have had this this sort of conversation back and forth since this came out. To me, it's it, it's sort of saying that um, they are, uh, you know, th- they're basically signaling to the fans and everyone that they're not in control, that uh, this what the city does um, is going to to come down to it. You have sort of taken a, a slightly different possibility theory I, I on on what they're doing. Put, putting out the statement, I, I think, is as much information telling the fans and, and you know providing transparency uh, as it is. I think also voicing those things, which could put pressure on the the local municipalities to change their mind or at least give USC and UCLA an exception, which. I mean, I don't see the difference between the Dodgers having an exception and USC and UCLA having an exception. Neither one of them has a bubble. If the Dodgers had a bubble, if MLB was in a bubble and they had the exception and the colleges didn't, I would get it. I don't get the bu- the bubble, the exception now. Mm-hmm. If the argument is that the Dodgers playing football games, uh, baseball, what, what is with <laughs> me today? The Dodgers playing baseball games uh, provides revenue for other LA businesses, um, that obviously is at a small degree right now with no fans at games, but also, wouldn't that also be the case for SC and UCLA? I mean... I, I mean, guess, I know UCLA doesn't play in in the city of LA, but like... I guess the difference, if I was a LA official or whatever and I was having these conversations, I think the argument you could make is that a baseball squad... Even with the the sort of minor league call up situation that they can do, 
is still significantly smaller than a football squad. Sure. When you're going to have football players practicing, uh, you're talking about 100, 100 dudes, 85-man uh, scholarship roster, but you also have walk-ons. And then you're talking about staff, training staff, but, coaching staff. Okay. Um, how, how many people were, were talking at we, – we've put the number at like 1,000 people who would have to be at a game, right? Uh well well I guess it depends on how expansive you have your game but yeah between the two teams you're talking two hundred players between the two teams and then you're yeah. talking um staff probably twenty five for you each media you got um coliseum staff you got security but I don't think you, you have to bring the me- then that's the thing is if you went bare bones the only media you'd need to let in is TV media TV uh production uh, so you're cutting yourself out of this. No, no, I'm just saying, but, like, if we're talking point, to, like, how, what's the bare minimum you could trim this down to? No, but to? The, the point I'm making is, I let's say it's a thousand people that that, that we we just said, just yeah. roughly a thousand for argument's sake. Yeah. How is that number different than what's at Dodger Stadium on a, on a given night during their season right now? Don't they probably still have a few hundred people at their games? Yeah, when you include that's fair the, the, the staffing and whatnot, and again, what is the real difference between those numbers? That they're I, I professionals, th- that the, the, everyone the, the, who's there pro- is getting paid. That's that's sure, really the but, only difference. But yeah, but there's still no bubble being in place, yeah. and we're still talking about a situation that has more than a hundred people, uh, no matter what. Mm-hmm. So, I I. I, I I, no, I think the Dodgers I think, get the exce- exception. I think USC and UCLA should too. Absolutely, I agree. I, I but I, we, I, we, we will see. But part of me also how how hard is USC and UCLA going to fight for that exception? Because I don't I don't know. It, it's gonna it's gonna depend on everything else. Too. Yeah. So I, I I don't know. Either way, talk about the schedule. Let's just assume that it's played as is, because there might not be a football season, but we'll still pretend like there is. Or whatever. Uh, <laughs> all right. Week one. Uh, it, really, the first half and the second half. First five games, UCLA, Cal, Stanford, Colorado, and Arizona. Uh, we can call this the easy side of the schedule. Mm-hmm. And then the back side is the hard side. Wazoo, Oregon, ASU, Utah, and Washington. Is this an open-faced sandwich? Uh, no. This is a... Um, this is a shepherd's pie. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, no, no. You no. got the fluff on the top, and then you got the meat underneath. I was gonna go with like um, a fruity, a fruity tooty, fresh and fruity kind of thing. You, you got, and I don't even know what a fruity tooty is, <laughs> but I'm imagining what it is. You got like a stack of pancakes. Yeah, that's your your heavy portion of the meal. Underneath the overwhelming amount of fruit and um, sweets, like whipped cream, on the top of it. Yeah. I would like you, my shepherd's you, pie analogy better. Okay, fine. We'll do shepherd's pie. <laughs> it's shepherd's pie. Uh, the, the the point is, there's there's a, in a in a vacuum. We're talking football reasons, right? There's only one team football that has football reasons to beat USC in the top half, and it's it's Cal. Um, and in the bottom half, and I, th- they I think barely, you can make arguments for all five of them. I think Cal doesn't like Cal. 
barely has football reasons to be USC. Sure, but if there is going to be one, it's going to be Cal. Yeah. Right? Like like and again, this is this is the COVID season. Literally anything can happen, so take everything well, with a grain of salt. We don't know how any of these teams are prepared. Right. All of a sudden UCLA if, if there's could there's any year for a million spark. upsets and, and for all of our predictions to be wrong, it's this year. For all we know, Carl Durrell is going to be a mastermind at Colorado and get that maybe Kevin Sumlin comes good this year with Arizona. I know these are absurdities, but yeah, you know like, it's COVID. If there's a, yeah, it's the COVID season. Anything could happen. Liverpool could win the league, so exactly, um, which doesn't count. Um, but the point <laughs> is, uh, yeah, I, I, this this opens up very well for USC. Uh, I know a lot of people think that SC should start six to zero. I I I wouldn't bet on that, but but still, the first six games, the first five plus Wazoo. Uh, the more manageable portions of the game. And, and I was listening to Family Feud, and Shotgun made a tremendous point. This is the like the idea, ideal schedule you would want for USC, given that they didn't have a spring camp, they didn't have the ability to install their defense, uh, and everything that Orlando wants to bring in. Now, with this schedule... The first six games are manageable. Again, the Cal is the biggest threat there of those first six games. And even then, you can make arguments for why Cal might not be that as scary as Oregon or Utah or Washington, right? But at the same point, those are six games that give USC an opportunity to learn their defense, learn about a lot about themselves. Um, and it's six games of reconnaissance for those last four, which is going to be the four games that decide everything about USC's season at Oregon, home to ASU, at Washington, uh, sorry, at Utah, and then home to Washington. Those are the four games that will define your season. Um, putting them all together is going to be very tough. That's a, that's a tough four-game jaunt in Murderer's Row there to end the season. But I, I think you, you kind of take your chances on that, so that way you have six ga- six weeks for Todd Orlando to, to come up with the defense that works in this weird situation that we have i i think that's a very good point uh i would also count myself in the group of people who think that usc should start six and zero, and if they don't then they've done something wrong to be frank i uh, I, I i get they that. have a I better quarter- they I have just- a they have a better quarterback than any one of those six yes. teams right. they have a better uh, be wide receiving core yeah. they have better talent straight across they will be favored in all six um, I, I concede that you might have some growing pains in those first few weeks. The road games, road right. game to UCLA, the road game to Stanford, those are, those are certainly potential pitfalls, but we've seen USC struggle on the road and just, just the fact that we've seen that trend doesn't excuse the trend, you know? Like, sure. it's realistic that they might lose those road games, but they sure as hell shouldn't lose those road games either way. Uh, I think USC should start six and zero. If they don't, they might then... not win those road games. <laughs> well, we sure well, they... think they should. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I just, I just think that th- those first six games, I don't think there's a lot of excuses for losing. Uh, Cal, if it was on the road, maybe would be greater. But and you're also talking about, as we know now. Again, you're also talking about you're talking about a Cal team that USC absolutely. If Matt Fink's the starter here, everything's up in the air. Sure, sure, but at the same time, like... Ifs and nuts were candies and butts uh, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. and if if you lose your starting quarterback, you should still be able to navigate. Like, 
the whole point, again, of this offense, the air raid offense, is supposed to be that the quarterback doesn't matter so much. Right. We spent all that, last year talking should, about that. It should be the case. So, it wasn't necessarily the case last year. But well, it should be the case. But, but Matt Fink's a year older, a year longer sure. in the system, yeah. and, and he should be able. you should be able to navigate with Matt Fink in there. Uh, certainly in none yes. of those none of those games are the caliber of Washington, the game that he absolutely, you know, uh, fell on his face in. Right. None of those games are the caliber of Washington. So if if Matt Fink is playing those teams, like he should be able to get the job done. Keaton Slovis should be able to get the job done. Right. Um USC's offense and defense in general should be able to get the job done. Do I think that USC will go 6-0? I I wouldn't bet on it. But do I think that a USC that is held to the standards that we should be holding this USC team to, should they go 6-0? Absolutely, yes. They don't have the benefit of the doubt that like Pete Carroll did where he'd lose that sure. stupid game every year. And, you he'd know, lose the, at Stanford. He, he'd lose at Stanford, absolutely. But you you know that he would come back and roll through the rest of that season and win out and absolutely trounce right. uh, teams like Oregon and ASU yeah. and Utah and Washington at the end of it. So. He had that no, benefit of the doubt. Kelly Helton does not have the benefit no, of the doubt. No, I, I agree. I, I, I'm saying that I don't think SC is going to go 6-0. I don't think we should – it should be 6-0, boom or bust, an automatic fail if you're not 6-0 kind of thing. No, I think I, – I don't think me saying that is because I'm I'm coddling Clay Helton or not. I, I think I'm being realistic to, you know – Winning six games in a row for any team uh, is is if you go difficult. if you go five and one in that stretch, what you do is you create a I lot. I think you take five and one. You take five and one, but you create a lot less leeway towards the end in that Absolutely, final game yes. because now you really do need to beat ASU. Now you right. really do need to beat Utah. Like you just need, and I think you should win those games anyway. Well, I, I think so too. But you're you're you in in theory if you go six and zero. Oh, you can lose two games in that last four game stretch and still make it to the Pac-12 title game. Sure. But if you lose one of those first six, now you're putting yourself in danger because we assume you're going to lose to Oregon. If you lose to ASU and now you have tie, you lose that tiebreaker, you lose to Utah, you lose that tiebreaker, you're in trouble. So yeah. 6-0 should be what USC is looking at there you, uh, just you, for safety. You mentioned the Utah game. Uh, I I love a Black Friday game. It's to me Black Friday the ultimate day for college football. Freaking love it. I love waking up. Uh, I I miss I I miss waking up on Black Friday, walking out in my PJs and watching Texas and A and M, <laughs> and then watching Colorado Nebraska. To me, that is the pinnacle of college football right there. So I love SC playing a Black Friday game. I would love if it was a daytime game. That'd be even awesomer. Mm. Uh, on, on Which Black we don't Friday. know the time for this yet, but we presume yeah. it will be a 6 o'clock ESPN kickoff. I don't necessarily think. It's a Black Friday game. It could be at any time. It's, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Mm. It, it's That Black Friday game is not the same as a, a, a Friday game in the middle of the that's season. True. That's true. That's true. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what that, how that... So, but either way, it's it's going to be tough on, on six six days. Notice at Utah, but the, the thing I, I want to point out here, according to weatherspark.com, quote, on average, there is a 20% chance that more than 0.04 inches of total precipitation will fall in Salt Lake City throughout the day on November 27th, of which 73% is expected to be rain alone, 11% to be snow alone, and 16% to be a mixture of snow and rain. 
Alicia, November 27th carries a 27% chance there will be snow in some form in Salt Lake City. <laughs> we uh, haven't had a snow game in ever. decades, since the 50s. Uh, I think it would be very, very fun to have a snow game. The closest thing to a snow game I can remember is... Washington the, State with that sleet? No, I was thinking Colorado when there was snow on the sidelines. Sure. Um, sure. But, yeah, I mean, I think they're... they're that would be fun. I don't think you need to raise the level of difficulty for USC and Ricycles, <laughs> to be honest. Certainly not. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe uh, cross your fingers and hope for clear skies uh, on that particular day. But uh, the Friday thing. Oh, and let's let's just address this straight out because I've seen a lot of people talk about how like why are you playing games on that? For why are you still playing Friday games uh, when you're dealing with so many of the the COVID health issues and all that kind of stuff? Like it's still all about TV. It is still 1,000% about I, TV. Can I just push back again? It's Black, it's Friday. Black Friday. Every conference is playing that it's game. Playing that, yeah, exactly. Like it's Everyone's not like, playing that day. Yeah. The SEC is playing games that day. And big ups to, to the Pac-12 for if if you were a schedule maker here and you could fit, try to try to put a particular game on it's that. It's a marquee game. USC-Utah is probably going to decide the South. Like, I think that's a pretty good marquee game for the Pac-12. Yeah. So, uh, A... In general, the Friday games still have to exist because the Friday night, uh, or Friday in in this case, but Friday night across the other season for other teams, those those TV slots are still very valuable. Right. the The value of TV slots we, does we, not we, go away. We because can't bitch that the Pac twelve doesn't make any money and then get mad when they try when to they, make money on Friday nights. Yeah, or Thursday nights. Like those are those are actual valuable um, game times. So the Friday thing still makes a lot of sense. Uh, is it unfortunate that USC has Pac-12 South rivals on back-to-back weeks on Friday games? Yeah, sure it is, but every every team has misfortune about uh, when these things come around. So it's not like USC. I think Utah has two Friday night games, so you know it's 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 not exactly um, totally unfair ac- across the board. But that run at Oregon, ASU at Utah, Washington is. The fascinating thing about this is that, like, USC's two hardest games of the season got nixed with the conference mm-hmm. schedule. Well, two of the three. Oregon, I would argue, is still right. Okay, yeah, more, yeah, di- yeah. more no, difficult than, than Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Yes, okay, that's yes, yes, absolutely. So, so uh, two of the three hardest, and so you look at that last run. You get at Oregon, ASU, Utah, Washington, ASU is uh, a, a, a team that I don't think anyone has a really great handle on. They have a lot of potential, but no one knows if they're going to be able to take that next step. Uh, Utah loses literally everybody on offense and defense. Literally, they rank like in the bottom 15 of returning production. In, in, in a couple of different stats. For yeah, yeah, they, they, they re- lose everybody. Of note from last year's team, except for Britton Covey. He's literally like the only name I remember that's coming back. And then you got Washington, who's replacing a quarterback who has a new head coach who's sort of going through their own transitionally, transitional period. So that is a tough four game schedule, but I'm so very curious. We will know by that bye week how tough that schedule actually right. is. For sure. Because right now, I think a lot of things... It, lot There's can, a chance all four of those teams take a step back. Yes, absolutely. And and then you look at how does the schedule sort of... 
if you make it through 6-0 and and all of a sudden you're looking at an Oregon team that's demonstratively worse from last year, an ASU team that isn't able to put it all together. I can't imagine uh, Oregon's worse. Unless players... Well, they don't have the, the or, new quarterback. The, they don't have Herbert, so... Um, yeah, and they, they lost four guys off the They lost the four of the five line. starters on the offensive line. But the, I, the way they've recruited and the yes. way that defense is just ridiculously stacked, especially And that defense front. is going to get better. Right. And that's the scary thing. But the offense could take a step back. The offense could um, not be quite as effective. And I think you look at Utah, they could take a huge step back. Washington could take a step back. So when you get to that bye week or to the Washington State week, and if you're 6-0 and and you're looking all of a sudden at... You already have the Pac-12 South wrapped up. Right. Um, you're not fearing Oregon at Autzen because there's not going to be a crowd there. You're not really fearing Rice Echo. This might actually, this year, the interesting hypothesis theory to sort of put to bed, is USC bad on the road because of crowd noise or is USC bad on the road because they just don't know how to travel? It would be interesting. It's going to be a small sample size. Yeah. That can- to to say for sure, but we'll know part yeah. of it. I, I don't think it's. I, I think it's personally. I think it's the travel column A and B for sure. Yeah, and then the travel just in general. Yeah, um, uh, carries more weight than the than road games. Um, in, I mean in in than road crowds, but road crowds certainly factor in uh, as well. Um, it's it's column A, column B. Um, anyway, so we're gonna take a quick break. Come back and wrap this thing up with the mailbag. You've got mail. All right, let's see. Let's go to an email we got from Tito. Hello, Rot. I really enjoy the content you guys produce both on the main show and on the Patreon side. So I have a question for you guys who want to get your thoughts on an idea that was brought up on a different podcast I listened to. With this whole pandemic that is going on, and with the Power Five conferences basically making their own decisions on what they are going to do with their seasons, what do you think about creating a commissioner job that would oversee all conferences like what the NFL has with Roger Goodell for Division One sports, and particularly football. To expand on that, maybe have commissioners or other positions that would oversee Division Two, Three, and so on, so they can collaborate and make decisions in unison. Thoughts? Thanks. Uh, I think that's a, a absolutely smart idea. I love the idea. I think it it would it would make college football run significantly better. I don't think it will ever happen because in order for that to happen, you would need the commissioners of the SEC, the Big 12, the Big 10. To cede the some big, power. Everyone would have to cede power to the central figure, and I just can't imagine they do that. now. Well, here, here's the interesting thing. I, I think college football would be better off if this was the case. Yes. However, and so, yes, I want this for sure. Because we're seeing how toothless Mark Emmert is as the president of the NCAA. Well, Civil but th- here's the thing, and, and people... I feel like people weirdly either don't know this or just don't remember this. The NCAA has very little power when it comes to Division One college football, like like FBS level. Yeah. Uh, the NCAA does not run college football um, at, at the highest level in FBS. It's run at, essentially at the conference level anyways. That's why the conference commissioners have more power than Mark Emmert. What the NCAA does is essentially they're uh, – they're, they're, they're the rules. They're the the governing body in that sense, but they don't actually run the seasons. They don't run the league. They don't crown the champion. the The national champion is not an NCAA champion. Uh, so, if we hear in the future the, the there will be no NCAA championships for fall, that doesn't have anything to do with football because 
football national championships don't count as NCAA national championships. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the commissioners and the bowls decide that themselves. Uh, so, um, having a, some sort of central power, um, the, the NCAA not having power is kind of inherently the point. And I think that it, it's kind of what makes sort of the charm of college football is that you have so much regional, um, emphasis on things. And I, I always go back to it's, it's like states' rights versus federal rights, uh, in, in politics. Whereas the, and not to get, to get political here, because this certainly is not, but it's one of those things where there's pros and cons of things, right? There, there's pros of having conferences or, or states having uh, their own powers and, and whatnot. And in a lot of ways, I, I think that, for the lack of a better way to put it, I think it's it's culturally interesting that each state, each conference has, has its own set of laws, right? Yeah. Uh, especially in, in what we call United States of America and what we call college football that's made up of all these conferences, it's culturally interesting to me that the conferences don't play all the same number of games. Even if we find that frustrating, I like that this is a sport that is not uniform like every other sport, that it's different. See, and here's the the problem in this <laughs> states' rights, federal stuff, all this, it's all applies. In times of There's pros and cons emergency, to all of in particular... You need having, the feds to step up. Having a uniform, unified, central power to make decisions is really useful. Right. And sometimes the thing that makes you special, sometimes the things that, that helps, that, that makes everything run smoothly uh, in more regional settings gets in the way of... 100%. Like, so, so in a time like this, I think it would make a great sense to to put in place a commissioner to oversee standards for COVID-19 and all this kind of stuff. But I don't, again, like I said, I don't think that the commissioners of the other, of the conferences would concede that particular um, uh, power. I think it would be, if you could figure something out where, like, for instance, the commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell doesn't run the NFL he just speaks for the owners and uh, sort of navigates the owners. And if you could have a college football commissioner that doesn't necessarily run thing run things, but runs interference between, makes sure that there's communication between all of the conferences, make sure there there's like that kind of thing. Then then I don't know if that's Mark Emmert's job as it is. I don't think it is, but that kind of thing could potentially. Uh, help right but like putting that in place sounds to me like it would require people to sacrifice in a way that they don't have any intention of ever sacrificing yeah i think the more more realistic um solution here uh is an oligarchy of sorts where the power five where you know the power five meets on their own and doesn't invite the the yeah. group of five commissioners where those five commissioners bands together and creates their own unity i think that is more likely of, it, of an all, a long-term scenario. If they go into, if the Power Five breaks away from the NCAA, do you think they would do something like that? I think they, I don't know that, maybe they have, they appoint a, a, a head. But you have like a committee, and then you have a committee I, I chair. Something sort of like that, maybe. But yeah, it would be a committee, committee chair situation, rather than we're going to cede all of our, you know, get rid of all of our power for this. Yeah. So, 
uh, you know, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great idea. I just don't know. I don't think it's realistic. That that's that's the unfortunate part about it, because it's so it's so fun to talk about um, in a lot of different areas. Uh, let's go to a Slack message we got from La Fred. He sent two questions. First of all, with all the Power Five essentially having in conference games only, uh, with a possible plus one to be determined. Assuming there is an undefeated team that comes from each and no change to the current playoff format, which conference gets left out? Uh, I don't think there's an answer for that. It depends on who the I conference test? championship. It depends on who it is. If USC, if a if a one loss USC is the conference champion in the Pac-12 or one loss Oregon, and the Big Twelve champion has two losses. Uh, well, no, he's saying if they're all undefeated. Oh, they're all if, undefeated. If SC's oh. undefeated, Ohio State's undefeated, Clemson's undefeated, oh. Oklahoma's undefeated, and Alabama's undefeated, who gets left out? And I think in that situation, it comes down to things like eye tests. Yeah. It comes down to uh, style points. It How comes much down did, to... Did, did you skate by or did you... Uh, yeah. I think it also the comes down to... The perception of the conference as a whole. It, I think the eye test very much because, for instance, if you have a quarterback who's a Heisman candidate and is right. exciting, you're going to get a little boost there. If yeah. you are less exciting, you're sort of just more like skating by, winning by the t- you know skin of your teeth, then um, they're not necessarily going to give you... Yeah, and I, I think brand power certainly will could play some role. I don't, think like, it's, I don't think it's the be-all and end-all, for sure. But brand power in that scenario can only go so far because, like, in theory... It would be easy to leave the if ACC it was all champion bl- if out, it was except Clemson. Clemson has won the last. Right. Uh, and if it's all blue bloods. Yeah. If it is SC, Oklahoma, Alabama, let's just say Notre Dame and, and Ohio State, all of them have a blue blood right to that. Playoff, I think I right? think USC gets left out in that scenario. I and here's I why. Think, now, I, I think it's completely a fallacy to say anyone would at this point. No, no, no. Here, we don't know. No, no, no. It no, comes here, down to no, no, no. I have a, I have a theory. No, no, no. I have a theory here. Okay. I have a. All things being equal, where each team has been uh, sufficiently impressive, where they have taken care of business and all that kind of stuff. If you're talking Oklahoma, they've been to the college football playoff recently. You're talking LSU or Alabama, been to and won national championships sure. recently. You're talking um, Ohio State, been to and competed for national championships re- recently. Clemson or Notre Dame. Clemson has the national championship pedigree. Notre Dame has Brian Kelly. I think if you're talking about USC, I think skepticism around Clay Hilton keeps USC out of that playoff. If all Personally, things are equal, if all things there's are equal, no chance uh, on earth all things are equal. In that, that situation. And, and that's yeah, but 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 if the if the overriding decision is coaching and and sort of recent legacy, I think USC gets left out. It's going to. I think down Oregon to, gets left out too. How, how are you in in November? If if SC struggles in in if USC in the blows the, out Oregon and blows and out blows ASU out and all Utah those teams Washington, in, in September and Oklahoma struggles, then SC's gonna get in over Oklahoma. You know what USC needs though? Like it's it's no, style points and all that kind of stuff. But in conference only schedules too, what you need is there to be a clear delineation between the good teams and the bad teams. So right. what USC what USC in that scenario would need is Oregon to only use, lose to USC, Washington to only lose to Wash, to USC that and Oregon, uh, ASU and Utah to only lose to USC and each other. Um, the if 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 the rest of if the bottom half of the Pac-12 is just bad, that's better for USC because you want better teams at the top 
more high-profile, right. you beat a lot of good teams at the top kind of situation. All, all, all I'm saying is anyone sitting here right now and saying that... Oh, S- we wouldn't. Absolutely that, not. That, that, that SC or really any team would or would not lose that battle is selling you something. Because we don't know. There, there's way too many factors. To My play. concern is that the perception of the Pac-12 is the not The record strong. is only one, one the, thing. The perception of the Pac-12 is not strong. And we know what the Pac-12... So I said what USC needs is for the top half to be good and the bottom half to just be right, bad. But uh, We know what the Pac-12 is going to be, Michael. They're going to eat their own young. They're going to have a bunch of mediocre teams. And sure, the winner but, of the Pac-12 is probably going to get loved out. That's not what happened last year, though. Like when... I mean, okay. The yes, I mean... ASU beat Oregon and ate their own in that sense. But... Last year was a very weird season where there was three teams that were demonstrably better than everybody else, record-wise. And then there was a three-game gap between everything else. That's the kind of season you need this yeah. year to solidify a playoff berth. So, I, I, again, I nobody knows. It's going to come down to eye tests, style points, all that stuff. Uh, form, um, all those things. Ellie uh, Fred also says, do you foresee the possibility... That if the planned fall season moves through, there could be fans attending games towards the end of it. Could there be a huge difference in home field advantage versus playing in empty stadiums? I get that it all depends on the virus impact. Uh, I would not hold my breath one bit that there will be fans um, at the Coliseum. There certainly could be fans in other places. Um, You know, SC gets ASU at home. But if that game was in Tempe, I wouldn't be surprised if there were fans there in November. So, knowing Arizona. Yeah, um I think it's an interesting scenario to explore. I would have two concerns about well, two two th- th- broad sort of thoughts about this. Number 1 would be even if you do have fans in the stands, I don't think there's any chance you have above 50% capacity and Otson for instance, or Rice Eccles, for instance, if you cut that crowd in half, is it half as effective? Um, I don't know how, I don't know if having a crowd there at 20% capacity gives you an advantage, um, but I don't know. It's possible it does still. Uh, the other thing that I would be concerned about is, you know, we're in summer and we're seeing spikes of this thing, and everyone seems to agree, at least on the sort of virologist side of this, that the virus is going to thrive more in cold weather. So once we hit the cold weather months, the probability of, of that being the time when we open things up is sort of, is, it feels a little slim to me. Obviously, I'm no expert. I could be wrong on that. Uh, but I would just, I certainly wouldn't bank on full capacity, on capacity enough to make a difference, plus... Right on the idea of having anybody there at all. Uh. That, that's the other thing. Like, if we're talking about timeline, uh, general timeline, and if seasons don't matter, uh, seasons as in, like, the seasons of the year don't matter, mm-hmm. um, then, yeah, the, you could see a situation that maybe uh, three, four months from now, maybe there, there's fans in, in different states that, that are at games. But, yeah, if this is one of those things which – like the influenza outbreak of of 1918 um, that had a strong second wave in the winter months, then it would seem really stupid to be putting, to be, you know, uh, becoming lax in restrictions right when 
that could happen. When you're but, in danger of but we, that. But we don't know. We, we, yeah. we, we don't know at this point. But either way, I wouldn't hold my breath. Uh, and I don't know that there would be a big change in home field events, like Alicia said, because of the, the, the fans not being there uh, in full voice. Uh, let's go to an email we got from George. Uh, everyone is talking about football being a contact sport. Social uh, distancing is impossible. Uh, well, the virus seems to be passed primarily through the air, most often, if not always, through prolonged contact indoors. Since football players already wear a helmet, and we already have visors for those helmets that could be easily modified with a piece of cloth at the base of the visor, effectively making a face mask that deflects and filters the player's breathing, and the game is played outside, this would seriously reduce the chance of transmission, would it not? As an aside, please don't say that we have to wait until we have a vaccine. We may never have one. If we do, great. We have to learn to manage this thing. Shutting everything down is not the answer. Uh, 202 deaths in the 15 to 24-year-old age group uh, to date from COVID. 3,500 people drown in America each year. 800 are children. Are we going to ban swimming? Question mark. George. All right. Thanks for sending in the email, George. Um, I have uh, rebuttals to, to a couple of things here. Uh, one, I do think it is smart to have a piece of cloth, uh, just a little mask on the players. What we've seen is, is interesting with LSU was moving towards, I think it was Nike or who does LSU have? Uh, Nike. Nike. They, they developed these um, full face shields where the visor would extend also down through the face mask and cover the whole face essentially and LSU players put those helmets on and say they can't breathe <laughs> like like that they, they look like they were fogging up that it's just not ideal um, I've seen other designs where they have helmets with the built-in uh, mask cloth mask which I think seemed to me to be more uh, more of a fe- an effective answer so, yes, I, I do think there is a way for you to um, help mitigate some of those problems. My concern would always be with uh, with linemen, linemen in particular, considering the nature of their positions, which is to be face-to-face in close quarters every single play of the entire game. Um, a mask wouldn't necessarily prevent the spread of those uh, virus uh, particulates in the air. Um, certainly they wouldn't be asked, they wouldn't be expected to wear N95 masks or anything like that. So that might be concerning, um, especially for linemen who tend to be in greater risk factors of their health anyways, given their BMIs, given, uh, all of, uh, the, 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 the general weight of a lineman. Um, so I think the risk to them, you still can't really mitigate completely other positions. I think you could certainly play seven on seven fairly safely. But uh, the the lineman would be where my my main concern is. Um. Okay. So the thing about the two hundred and two deaths in the fifteen to twenty four year age group, and I'm glad you brought this up because I've been wanting to sort of again address this on the podcast so that people understand sort of where we're coming from when we talk about the the risk factors here. Um. Number one, the only risk is not death. Death is the ultimate risk, but it is not the only risk. And as I said in a previous episode, if there are only if, the, if we're talking about a small percentage of players who might die because they contract this virus, name me the player on USC's team who you are comfortable with dying. That's I cannot name a single player that I say I can live with the with the idea of that kid dying. 
Um, number two, the risk is not so much with the players dying. There are other health risks. We have seen players from around the country who have contracted the virus, who say it is no joke, who have ended up in the hospital, who have ended up having um, serious health issues. Uh, we, we, you know, personally, I, 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 I don't know anybody in this situation, but I, I sort of secondhand do know have friends of friends who were completely healthy 29 year olds who ended up in the in is getting serious cases and are still feeling health effects a month later. Uh, in terms of their breathing and all of that kind of stuff. So contracting the virus isn't just a you'll get over it with the flu kind of situation. It can be more serious than that, not just from the death perspective, but from the long-term health of impact, but also the immediate health impact where you could get quite sick and that sickness could affect you for months. Um, the third element of this is also that my concern, my primary concern is not necessarily, my primary concern is, concern is obviously I don't want to see any players die. I don't want to see any players have uh, debilitating health issues that extend well beyond the, the time period that they have the virus. But also, the players are not in a bubble. The players are going to be interacting with their parents, their family members, their siblings, their friends, or anybody else that they come into contact with. And the players are not going to be isolated just with them interacting with other players. If you have a situation where you have the fostering of the spread of this virus through players just just consider USC squad USC squad you have one player who contracts it gives it gives it to one other player that one other player now goes into their sphere around the the city of Los Angeles and potentially passes it to the person at the grocery store potentially passes it to the 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 person that they you know their uber driver or whoever it is that they might have been in contact with and, and mind you all those things could happen either if, way if football wasn't a thing but now if football is a thing now you have a team element yes that they're going to be around well, every how many day on how, top of that how many people do you interact with on a daily basis the vast majority of us interact with certainly at these times a handful maybe People who work from home like you and I or students who will be taking online classes could in theory limit their interactions with people to only a couple or maybe a handful a week, right? Well, if you're a football player going to practice, you're now interacting with a hundred other people on a daily basis. And then, and those are all just people who are going out into their own spheres around uh, the, living their lives, however they live them. And then you talk about uh, the interactions that those players have with each of the people in their families who then have interactions with other people who have interactions with other people. Now we're talking about playing football games, right? We're not just talking about practicing with the same 100 people getting together every day of the week to, to practice in these close quarters. Now, I mean, I mean, not to mention that the other people in their lives are not necessarily in that uh, 15 to 24-year-old age group. Yes, absolutely. Their parents and all that. I mean... I think about um, in in my family. I have a brother who works retail, and we talk constantly about how he has very little control about what people do when they walk into the store that he works at. And if someone were to infect him, like he, he would come home and potentially give that to any one of my family members, and then I am now exposed to it because the only people I interact with these days are my family members. So like that can if if a student athlete has a parent who works retail or a sibling who works retail, all of a sudden you're entering that particular risk into their lives and they're now bringing it to their teammates. When we talk about playing games, now we have teammates, teams, the team bubble that isn't a bubble 
interacting with people from other regional locations. So you're talking about people from Los Angeles who are traveling to Washington. And all of a sudden now you're exposing the hundred people from that sphere to a hundred people from the other sphere that they would have never otherwise interacted with ever. So those people are now potentially um, uh, in danger of this. And then each one of them as individuals bring the virus potential to the people in their sphere who brings it to their sphere. And all of these things just broaden and broaden and broaden and broaden. So it's not just about the individual players and the risks that they face individually, which they might have history of asthma. Uh, We've already talked about the uh, players with sickle cell anemia. Um, Austin Jackson's sister uh, that whole story about about his like, do we think that, that that that's not a like if he was still on USC, like wouldn't that be an issue? All of these things that 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 can be concerns for the players as individuals are one thing, and their risk might be low, but on a societal level, on a broader level, their low risk doesn't mitigate the expansion of risk that you see by having contact with people that you would not otherwise have contact with. That is my major major concern with bringing players back to campus, withholding practices, withholding uh, games, is that do we need to be having the expansion of interactions between all of these individuals at a time when the best thing for the society would be to contract interactions, to have as few interactions with other, pe- other people as possible so that we can try to, uh, try to, 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 to get this virus uh, to such a low that it becomes not, not a huge concern. It's about the broader societal spread of the virus, and then you can step down and down and down into the individual risk of, yeah, sure, they have a low risk of, uh, of, of, of dying from this, but, you know, they could still die from this. Um, on the drowning thing, I've heard this in many other places, if you drown, you don't potentially cause someone else to drown. So the whole idea of let's, let's, like, I don't understand why we need to compare these deaths with other deaths. Like, these are additional deaths. Like, we don't even need to compare them to flu deaths. Yes, people die from the flu. But in addition to the people who die from the flu, we're having people die unnecessarily or prematurely because well, of this unique thing that is, right. like, like you know, so... The number of people who are dying in America, regardless of reason right now, is more than we've ever had in any other yes. year. Like, like, on a per-month basis. Yes. So it's not just about how you're categorizing COVID deaths. It's not just about... Who, who's dying from what? The general deaths across the board in this country are higher than ever. And that's with everybody staying home. That, that's with understanding that we're going to have less deaths from car accidents this year. That's with understanding understand that we're going to have less deaths from, you know, boating accidents and, and all this, you know, other random kind of things that happen. So it, it's I don't think it's fair to turn around and say that this many people die from drowning, thus drowning and COVID are the same thing that can be compared. They're they're absolutely not even close to the same thing that can be compared. They are, you know, we do take pains to prevent drowning deaths. We have lifeguards. We have safety equipment. We have safety protocols. We have all sorts of things. I mean, uh, I was just I was just at my brother's house and he just got a new house with a pool and we were discussing my little nephew, once he gets old enough to to walk around on his own, I was telling my brother, we need to make sure that we have a gate here. He's like, yeah, there already is a gate. In order to buy this house and have it up to code, it had to have a gate or it had to have sensors or stuff like that to prevent, to, to have the pool be safe in for 
you know, children that are potentially walking around the pool. So, like, is that not a precautionary measure that we're taking against drowning deaths? Is that not us trying to do our best to limit the number of drowning deaths? Why not limit the number of of, uh, do our best to limit the number of covid deaths? And quite frankly, um, college athletics might not at this exact moment be worth the 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 potential individual and societal risks that that you would take on doing this it's all about risk management right like uh, and, and george says that, that you got to manage manage this and, and it's not worth shutting down everything i, I think that's on a case-by-case basis it, mm-hmm. it's, it's all uh in in terms of risk versus reward when it comes to a grocery store the reward is getting food to live right yeah so Clearly, we cannot shut down grocery stores. We need them to live uh, no matter what. So th- those need to be to be kept open. On the flip side of that, a concert um, is probably one of the things that would be the complete opposite of a grocery store. It's all merriment. That, that, that's, that's the biggest benefit of, of a concert. And, and the companies that are unfortunately tied to entertainment, and that's awful that those are, are, are getting you know affected by this, certainly. But in terms of risk versus reward, the rewards of a concert existing versus the the risk that a concert brings from being in a crowd in, in a time when there's a pandemic and an infectious disease is not worth it. So it's a case-by-case thing. So yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you about like businesses on a case-by-case basis, but football where football is, as much as I want football to happen, nothing I want more than college football. College football is the one thing that's going to keep both of our jobs alive if mm-hmm. college football exists 100%. There is no college football season. There probably isn't going to be a podcast anymore because you're probably not going to have a job and I might not either. Yeah. But that's the reality of it. Yeah. Um. At the same point, the objectivity here is that in the pantheon – of necessary things that need to exist right now in our lives. Culture ball is important for us. Is it important for a society as a whole? Not really. Well, and, and that's, that's the thing is I think we, I want to have college football. I think there, my big thing is have college football in a, in a way that you minimize the risk as much as possible. Like Greg, like uh, George says, we do have to manage the risk. The, the players will have to take on some risk. Absolutely. We right. all take on some risk when we go to the grocery store, like you said. My big concern is how do we get this to an acceptable risk? And right now, I worry that I don't think we have reached the threshold of acceptable risk yet. Um, yeah, if, and, and if you could, if there create, was a bubble, like if you in, could create more of a bubble, I like think what you, hockey and basketball are doing, then then I would be certainly much more on board with the idea of. Right. acceptable risk coming into play but for the ncaa especially when you're dealing with student athletes who are not professionals who are amateurs who are not being explicitly paid to be there um i i just think it's uh it's you're you're dealing with a very very complex issue that i don't think uh we have necessarily reached a point where we can definitively say that uh and i don't know that we'll ever be able to definitively say this but that we can comfortably say the risks have been mitigated, the risks have been minimized, 
and this won't have a larger impact potentially on individuals and on society at large. And I think both aspects need to be sort of accounted for. And that's the 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 struggle that I'm that I'm having is that the individual risk I think is probably as as between the testing and the masks and all this kind of stuff, the safety protocols, I think the individual risks are fairly uh, contained. My my bigger concern is the broader societal risks of not having a bubble, about having all of these people interact with however many other people are in their sphere at any given time. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Uh, let's go to a tweet we got from Evan. Uh, where do you guys expect the recruiting class to be when the season starts? I've heard uh, different opinions on this. Um, if the season starts in a month and a half, um, I can't imagine it's going to be in, in too much of a different place than it is now, which is top five. I think uh, I think it's number seven most recently that I've seen. They haven't. USC has only top picked 10. up. Yeah, USC has only picked up one commit in the last uh, month or so. So yeah, the, some other schools have, have leapfrogged USC, but still a top ten class, still looking quite well. Um, I think that the the yeah when the season starts, I think the class will still be top ten. The real question I think you should be asking Evan is where will this recruiting class be when the season ends? Because to me, it's not what USC does now that matters in recruiting. It's what USC does in the season. If USC falls flat on their face, there's no chance they're getting Corey Foreman. There's no chance they're getting some of the bigger hitters uh, on on that Ross on, on that uh, on the recruiting trail. But if USC wins the Pac-12, I think this class could could be exceptional. I think USC would validate everything that they've been saying over the last. A few months, I think USC would be able to turn and look Corey Foreman straight in the eye and say, "Yeah, Clay Elton's going to be under head coach next year. You can trust him. We have a plan. We have a good staff, and and everything that that's going." Um, USC could flip some guys. USC could really make some waves if they can prove that the staff that they have in place and the team that they have uh, in place is is moving up, has an upward trajectory. If the trajectory continues downward, then the class is going to suffer, and you're going to see guys jumping off the ship. So, uh. It's uh, where USC begins, you know, in, uh, by October, where this recruiting class is, the season. And we, it's so interesting because we've said this in the past that, like, players don't really care that much about wins and losses. But, like, this is the one year where I think that's a huge exception because USC's wins and losses, win-loss totals, I think, will absolutely have a huge role to play in, in what this class ultimately looks like. Unless they're COVID-adjusted in the sense of, like, you know... The COVID mayhem reigns yeah, supreme. Uh, yeah, certainly. But but, but, but but that would apply to everybody. But players, I don't. if I was a, a prospect right now, there's no way I, I commit to USC necessarily right, right you, now. You I, I wait and see. You want to see that the defense really has taken a step forward. Yeah. You want to see that the offense continues to, to move forward. With, with, with if I'm Corey Harrell. Foreman, I want to see how they use Drake Jackson. Do they get the yeah. most out of him? Um, if I'm you know, a receiver, I want to see. And, uh, and if you do those things, if, if – they they get the most out of Drake Jackson, and if they get the most out of all these guys, if Vic Soto gets a ton out of, uh, yeah, that's uh, how you get Corey Foreman. Yeah, that's how you get put yourself in a chance to get guys like Rajon Davis and and Bo Collins and and whatnot mm-hmm. uh, to flip those dudes. So, um, if you flip those guys, Bo Collins and Rajon Davis are committed to LSU and and Clemson. Like then that that's gonna only solidify. 
uh, your place is the top 10, if not top five class at that yeah. point. Legi- it's just, you need to legitimize everything that you've been talking about. You need to walk exactly. the walk. Right. Yes, indeed. Uh, last question comes from Sal. Which player on the team could find a cure for COVID if we gave them a lab? Uh, uh, weirdly, like my first thought was like Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah, that's he it. just seems. I, I couldn't. I couldn't think of one off the top of my head, but it is Amon Ra, isn't it? Right, just like between his language skills and just like the way his brain seems to work, I think. I think I would have a, a great bit of confidence in Amon Ra being able to to work it out. Right. Um, Amon Ra, by the way, I, I know we don't talk about F one on this podcast, but if there was anyone into F one, I think it's Amon Ra. <laughs> you are absolutely right. Yes. Yes, he's German. Next time you're at practice and you see Amon Ra, be like, uh, and I know we don't talk about F1, so you wouldn't ask this. I wouldn't but ask you, it. No. You wouldn't be like this, but you'd be like, so uh, Vettel at Ferrari, what, what's going to happen with that? Like, uh, <laughs> Is he going to get anything out of this car? <laughs> and uh, and then he'll launch off into a complicated thing about how, uh, you know, Mercedes car is just significant. I won't talk, we won't have this discussion, but certainly... No. He might have something to say about the the Mercedes DOS system and how far ahead they are from the competition, right. and you know all of that. Yeah, he probably wouldn't mention how, how dominant Toto Wolff is. No, he he yeah. certainly wouldn't. Certainly not. But yeah. Anyways, uh, that's the wrap of the episode. Uh, our longest in a long time. <laughs> Good. This is what we had to do. We moved to Omni. We had to go big. Yep. Go so, big or go home. Indeed. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back. Uh, next week with another episode. Alicia will be back later this week with more Patreon. Patreon.com slash Rain of Troy. We will be back later this month with, uh, over on Patreon, our um, season previews. That we're going to get out before we even know when fall camp is going to begin. Yes. Uh, unit by unit. Starting on offense or defense. Whatever we did last time, we'll do the opposite this time. So Look for those. Patreon.com slash Rain of Troy. Get all of our bonus content for 555. Also, you get ad-free episodes for 5.55 as well. Uh, Lisa, you got a final word? The final word is gems. As in, watched Uncut Gems Finally got you last to, night. To, to, to watch it. And I still, like, my brain is still processing. Like, I don't think I liked the movie, but the more I think about it, the more I think it's a genius movie. Like... Who needs to develop a gambling addiction when you can just watch that movie and experience the whole <laughs> deal? Like, also, weirdly, it's a sports movie? Like... What did you think? So... I didn't know I didn't know about Kevin Garnett or anything that was gonna... That was, so I thought that it was a sports movie going in, in the sense... All I knew about it going in was that, that Adam Sandler is a gambling guy and there's sports. Like, okay. And that he was supposed to be really good at it. And not only is it the only Adam Sandler movie I've watched in which the, it's a good movie that I'm watching, because every other Sa- Adam Sandler movie I've ever watched is inherently garbage, but... <laughs> Lies. That's the truth. But this is... like He's he's incredible in this. He should have won uh, Best Actor, but like... Or, I didn't watch every, any other movie, but I'm going <laughs> to just put, it, put that out there. Um, he was great in this, and... It ends up being about so much more than sports, but it's all about his addiction to gambling. See, and I didn't know anything about the sports angle to it. I just thought that he was some sort of 
jeweler who gets into deep water with people because of money. And the movie is absolutely about a degenerate gambler and an addict who is just... Well, and the magic of the gym, because the magic helps... Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like... Wow, it's, like a lot, it's a lot like Space Jam in I, that sense. I don't even... <laughs> Makes him a monster. Yeah, there you go. Um, I don't even know if I could recommend it to people to watch because it is not a particularly enjoyable viewing experience. Uh, it gave me a very sizable headache and I still am disoriented from watching it. But at the same time, as far as like a m- film viewing experience, like as far as the the emotions that a film was able to draw out of me, the the sort of ride of it all, like that was absolutely genius and i don't know how necessarily i i i think i i'm going back and forth on like processing i disliked the movie while also loving the movie you know what you know what one of my my favorite things that i've realized as i've gotten older um nuance in life where there's answers to things like you don't have to you don't have to like everything. You don't have to agree with people. Yeah. Um you don't have to agree with people uh, and and people don't have to agree with you certainly. And at, at the same point also the idea of and <laughs> I listen to so many hockey podcasts and this tends to be things that, this tends to be a phrase uttered a lot by uh Canadians. Uh I, I listen to Puck soup and Sean McIndoe says McIndoe says this all the time. Um, this is not for me. This is not like, I'm not the target audience for this. Uh, and Jeff Merrick of, of soon to be 32 thoughts uh, says this. And I've thought about like, yeah, there, there's a lot in a lot of ways. There's things in life that are not for me and that's okay. Uncut gems might not be for you and that's okay. But it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's mature to notice that some things could have value even if they're not for you. Yes. And like I, things that I've learned over the years. And so like you, I feel like that's where you are with this where yes. you see the value in it even if it's not for you. Abs- that is that is exactly that just ex- put it all together for expressing how I feel about this. I never want to watch that movie again. But the movie the 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 art of the movie is fantastic. Yeah. So. Which is the opposite of what I think about The Matrix. The Matrix is utter garbage. It's not for me, and it's utter garbage. <laughs> uh, you are slandering a lot of really beloved properties uh, in this uh, in this episode. Just just going out strong, going out swinging. I need to more if you want. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.